Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Marone for Westchester Talk Radio. Once again, we're here with our friends from Hightower. And our first guest this morning is Richard Flahav. He's the uh, Private Wealth Advisor and Director of Research and Planning at Hightower. And today we're going to be talking about, well, a basic education uh, for uh, investment. Let's go to Richard now. Good morning once again, Richard. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. How about yourself? It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Well, it's good to see you too. And uh, Richard, basic stuff as we get into the new year. Now, after all of the interviews and podcasts we've done over the years, we wanted to take a step back and do more of an informative session today. We've discussed everything from markets to real estate to financial planning. And we want now to dive into some of the terms and phrases you use and what they mean. Sure. Yeah. And, and Bob, thanks again for the time. I think obviously last year was an interesting year from, from, from a lot of different perspectives, uh, markets included. I think, um, you know, we've, we've said a lot over the, over the last couple of years around what we do and how we do it. Um, you know, I wanted today just to kind of take a step back and start to define some of the terms we've laid out over the various podcasts and video casts we've done. Mm-hmm. I think if you look back, Last year was an extremely active year in terms of, of investments uh, and the markets. You know, according to Bloomberg, there was over 10 million new brokerage accounts opened, uh, retail accounts that is, um, and then you know, the the, the average daily logins uh, across the various custodians, fidelities, the TD Ameritrades, um, nearly doubled uh, from the previous year. So a lot of activity. I think getting to know really the basics around what you're investing in, why you're investing it. You know, what a stock, a bond is, a mutual fund, uh, what, you know, what a REIT is, all these different things, I think, for folks who aren't necessarily, you know, involved in these, this type of, uh, of job and, and, and world in the, in the finance industry, um, it's good to understand, right? I mean, what your portfolio is investing in and why. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned, of course, starting a new year and new people investing. We see people even going and investing on their own, going to some of these websites and, 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 and doing trades. What are the basics that people really need to know as well, Richard, before they engage in this kind of thing? Sure, sure. And then, you know, you've seen this kind of proliferation of these robo-advisors over the years. And I think this is where, um, you know, and I was just even seeing a lot of the commercials, you know, on Bloomberg today, right? It mm-hmm. This new app and this new app and... You know, I think trading costs are basically zero. It's extremely easy to open an account. You know, now you, nowadays there's apps where, you know, if you spend 97 cents, the three cents will automatically roll into your investment account, right? And you can get mm-hmm. fractional shares. So um, it's extremely easy for people to get access to markets, but it's really important to get professional advice and understand what you're investing in before you do so. Um, because listen, this isn't, you know, it's gambling to a certain extent. We try to take the speculative right. aspect out of it and make it a little bit nuanced. And I think when uh, when people who don't necessarily know their their p's and q's, so to speak, when they, when they start into this uh, investment world, um, you know, you can really lose a lot of money. And I think uh, we try to help people get get a, avoid that. Really. Absolutely, and that and that's why I asked you that question because I think it could be very dangerous for people to go off and not really understand the basics. And, and with that said, let's start right at the top. People read in the papers every day, they hear it in their news, we're in a bull market or we're in a bear market. What does that mean? 
Sure. And, and I think 2020 is a, is a good year to kind of look back on, right? We had this kind of bookended year where the market started out really hot in, in January and February, and then obviously the virus hit um, and, and we had a quick drop, um, what we would call kind of a, a bear market there. Uh, so, and now we're, we're obviously recovered, but I think, you know, when people look at it, there's a, there's kind of three different things, right? The bear market, you know, the economy is doing well, um, jobs are created, you know, the markets are on the rise. Generally speaking, you know, <clears throat> people like to use the, the number 20%, right? If you get a 20% upside mm-hmm. swing, you're in a bear market, a, a bull market and a 20% drop usually over about a two month time frame, would constitute a bear market. Um, I think, the world's changed a little bit in terms of it. I mentioned before, right? The, uh, the the access, the easy access to markets, um, the quantitative trading, you know, the phone in your pocket, um, the speed at mm-hmm. which the markets are moving nowadays is extraordinary. And when you look back at last year, the bear market of, of March took only thirty three days uh, to, to drop, you know, thirty five percent or whatever it was from from where we were. And mm-hmm. I think um, you know it took a couple months there to recover, but. Um, you know, the important thing to remember is that these bear markets, you know, a good example of a bull market is kind of post 2008, right? We saw the recovery coming out of it and you had a, a extremely strong market for the better half of a decade. Well, a good bear market examples, like I mentioned uh, back in, in the great financial crisis of, of 07, 08, and then what we saw here uh, last March. Uh, but there's also the market correction side of things. And I think this is where folks have been so trained to think that markets really only go up. And I know, Bob, you've been around a lot longer than I have that, you know, so market mm-hmm. volatility is a, is a normal and a good thing. Um, I think when you look at, you know, what's transpired here over the last 10 years, um, we've had very little market corrections and market corrections, usually somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 10% or so drop. And it can be in an index, it can be in a stock, it can be mm-hmm. in a bond, a sector, um, whatever it may be. But um, the average inter-year kind of peak to trough movement in the market is about 14%. Um, over the last 40 years or so. So it is normal to see these types of movements. And I think, you know, people get a little bit nervous. We saw it at the end of 2018, where we had a sentiment kind of driven drop in in tech stocks and things like that. And the market dropped, you know, almost 25% over the last month or two of the Mm -hmm. year. So, um, you know, things can move fast. And I think, you know, where we are in the cycle, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of stimulus coming, but, uh, you know, if we did have a, a breather here and markets started to drop, we saw it in September, the markets fell almost 10%. Um, you know, sometimes these things are healthy, right? It gives people a, a chance to step back and take a look at what's actually transpired, you know, where evaluations are and, and, and all of the above. Well, let's though get that, then now get to the basics. Uh, let's start with cash. People understand cash. It's easy to use cash as the equivalent or comparison to other things as a benchmark. Uh, so it seems like a logical place. Can you talk about the differences uh, between different cash investments, CDs, et cetera? Sure, sure. And, you know, to use the accounting term, right, I, I, most of my family's uh, in-laws, I should say, they're all CPAs and you know, cash is king, right? Um, I think mm-hmm. it is cash. And the way we look at it, and I think the way most people look at it is there's no true replacement for cash, right? I mean, <clears throat> you know, essentially a, ve- a very simple kind of saving I mean, you know, generally speaking, they're FDIC insured, um, but the ones that we generally would would think of are, are kind of those money market accounts as well as the certificates of deposit or CDs, right? Um, mm-hmm. You're getting a, a fixed maturity date with the CD. You're getting, uh, you know, a, a fixed interest rate, um, and they're generally issued by the commercial banks, right? Um, usually, there's some restrictions around, uh, you know, the liquidity of it. Um, here yes. At power. 
we have a little bit uh, of a secondary market based on you know our place in 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 the, in the industry to where there is some liquidity and we can you know obviously talk about that in another call but um you know and then there's the money market right these are very liquid instruments um you know examples of that is just really commercial paper or treasury bills or something along those lines um but i think the key with cash is um, it, it's an it's an asset class, right? It serves a purpose. Um, whether or not we have four percent cash or twelve percent cash, right? There's a reason for it. It's a part of your asset allocation. Um, you can take advantage of, of market dislocations if you have cash on hand. Um, it can smooth out volatility within a portfolio. So, um, as as boring and mundane as cash is, um, it's it's a big part of our world, and, and you know, I think everyone's aware of that. So. Uh, can you say a little more about a CD, about CDs and money markets? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, essentially, like I said, right. I mean, there's usually, um, you know, there's usually a CD is usually denominated, you know, there's usually kind of some levels to it and some minimums and things like that. Um, they're mm-hmm. issued by these commercial banks. Um, usually they're FDIC insured up to 250,000 or whatever it may be. Um, but again, these are rates are extremely low right now. Um, mm-hmm. And this is an interesting, interesting point where if you needed to get any real yield or real interest payments off of these, um, you'd have to go extremely, extremely far out on the on the, yes. on the yield curve you know, out many years. And um, for us, the yield curve is so flat right now. You're seeing it steepen a bit. You know, the 10-year yields jump from about 0.9 to 1.1, which woo. <laughs> but I think when you look at it, it's important to understand um, – you know what? You know why? Why lock up your money for so long for such little yield? Um, obviously, we know what the Fed is doing. They're they're pushing people out um, into more riskier assets by keeping rates so low to kind of jumpstart the economy. So um, these serve a purpose in the right time when yields are a bit more attractive. Um, but it's it's something you know these money markets, these CDs, um, any financial advisory firm, any investment firm, you know, has access to these. Generally speaking, we get a little yep. bit higher yield on, on some of the money markets that we have here. Um, we custody through uh, through our custodian, um, as opposed to just your retail savings uh, account or bank. Um, but that's always something you should look into because there are certain high yield savings accounts out there uh, through different custodians and different banks, depending on how much assets now, you have with them. Sure. Now, Richard, every once in a while, someone will pick up the newspaper and they'll see that the money markets, because interest rates are so low, that they actually go into negative uh, categories, but it, it is true. It, it is true, is it not, that the money markets will buck up those accounts and never let them be less than a dollar on a dollar. Yeah, and I mean, you're seeing certain economies right now are yeah. um, have negative yielding. Uh, yes, and it's um, it's an interesting more of a. I, I think when you look at it, we'll know more about it in ten years, 15, 20 years, right? Um, I mean, some of the, some of the, I mean, there's staggering numbers about how much negative yield and debt there is out there. Yes. But the most important thing is the nominal rate versus the, 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 the real rate, right? So yeah. All right. The right. rate might be 25 basis points or 0.25, but inflation, right. let's say is, is a percent. You strip right. out inflation, right? You're now in the negative, your nominal yield is. Yes. And that, yes. That, that's where you need to pay attention, whether or not your money under the mattress is better served <laughs> versus doing something else. So. Thank you for that, because people read it and then they go, they run off and they get a little bit nervous. Let's get to the to what we used to refer to before people got more interested in, in, in money markets and such, stocks and bonds. 
the meat and potatoes of the industry, or at least they were for many years. Talk about those. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and purely speaking, you know, if you're buying a stock, you're, you're, a, you're a partial owner or, or have some sort of shareholder uh, equity or percent of ownership in a publicly traded company, right? Um, you're a shareholder, plain and simple. Um, and you generally have the right to vote. Um, you generally will have some sort of ability to receive dividends if that's what the company issues. Um, so, you know, there, and there's two types of stock, right? There's common stock and preferred stock. Common stock is what we all talk about on the news and I think is most commonly known, um, you know, and, and where you sit in terms of the claim on the asset should the company, you know, fold up. Um, so the, the, the common stock, as I mentioned, per, percentage of ownership, right to vote um, on issues affecting the businesses, be it proxy voting, um, which is probably aware of. And then, you know, you may receive some dividends. The preferred stock side of things, you generally, um, you might be entitled to dividends. Um, you're a little bit higher in the capital stack, meaning that you have a preference in terms of payment on the way out. Um, and you typically don't have voting rights. Um, so a little bit different nuances there. Um, not, not saying one is better than the other, it's kind of what it is. Um, but, you know, listen, the, the stock market is what everyone talks about. It, it dominates the headline. I think this is where um, people focus the majority of their time. You see a lot of the research on, on, the, on the, the, the buy side, excuse me, the sell side research centered around more large cap, bigger mega cap stock companies. Um, then there's the bond side, right? These are just debt instruments, you know, where effectively you're loaning money. Um, either to a company, potentially a municipality, a government entity, and there's interest payments uh, built in to those, um, plus the return of kind of the face amount when the bond matures at a later date. Um, very simple. I mean, been around forever. Um, usually there's a set period in which those interest payments are generally going to be made. Um, and, you know, the, the, that, that coupon rate, so to speak, can be either fixed or variable. Um, the corporate bond side of things where you're investing in more of a corporation, a company, um, those, that interest is usually taxable. Whereas on the municipal side, as we know, right, if you're doing something locally with the municipality, that's going to be non-taxable, that, that interest um, and kind of appreciation. So, um, again, bonds are usually a little more stable than stocks, right, in terms of the volatility, the way they move. Um, they're usually uncorrelated. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are risks associated with bonds, just like there are stocks. Um, there, are, there are credit risk, right? The, the whether or not the company is in good standing or not, uh, repayment risk, and then interest rate risk, right? If the general prices and a bond price is is inversely related to the direction of interest rates, right? Right. Interest rates are rising, the bond price is falling, and vice versa. And this is a big, and this all wraps up into inflation which is the big topic right now as we move into 2021 and will that ever come and what will happen to bond prices if, if rates were to rise and the Fed would need to act. So. A good point to mention, by the way, since I've been in the business a little longer, one of the reasons we call it a coupon, folks, in fact, some old munis are involved somewhere, bear bonds actually used to have a coupon that you cut. You cut off the bond and brought to the bank. And so we still use that nomenclature in our business. It's interesting stuff. Uh, having talked about bonds and stocks first brings up the next issue, which is one of the byproducts of investing in stocks and bonds is dividends and interest. Explain the difference. And also, it might be a good time to expand a little bit on preferred stocks. Sure, sure. So... You know, when you look at the at the two dividends and interest, I think 
a lot of the time you say it in that sentence, right? Dividends and interest. And everyone just since they, since mm -hmm. they're kind of you know phrased like that, they're synonymous with one another. And to a certain extent they are. But they're not. But they're not. And and interest is really just, you know, the, the bond side of things, right? You know, what you're being issued um, when you buy a CD, for example, right, as we mentioned before, and, and the interest that that that's promised to you in that contract. Whereas on the on the uh, dividend side, right, this is the, the share of the profits that a company has elected to pay its shareholders. Um, so so you know, kind of two different sides there on the stocks and bonds. Um, but I think you know. The portion of you know it, it is you have no contract with with the dividends right a company does not have to pay the dividend right whereas the the, the interest side is a little more contractually obligated um, and, and generally speaking you know companies that issue dividends um, it's it's a positive thing right they're usually in good standing in terms of their finances and they're issuing it as a reward to their investors but there's no guarantee of a dividend is your point. However, some preferred stocks do have guaranteed interest rates, correct? Yeah. And I think that, you know, if you look back at 2020, right, um, particularly look around the energy industry and some of these things, I mean, they were cutting their dividends um, mm -hmm. because they couldn't necessarily meet those obligations. So um, you know, it's, it's something to be wary of when you're investing. Generally speaking, when you see these dividends and, and yields at such high levels, you know, it's usually going to be more of a riskier investment, right? They're paying you to make that risky investment. Whereas, you know, you look at some of the federally backed stuff, the yields and interest rates are extremely low because you know your money's kind of guaranteed and good on the back end. I'd like to remind people you're listening and watching Westchester Talk Radio. We're talking with our friends of Hightower here at Hightower here at Westchester. Uh, the man you see is Richard Flahav. He's in charge of private wealth advising and director of research and planning at Hightower. And we move on to our next issue then. We've been hearing a lot about growth versus value investing to start 2021. What are they? And what are the differences, my friend? Yes, yes. This is uh, another hot topic. Um, growth investing, to, just to kind of set the table here, um, outperformed value by about 35% last year. Uh, massive, mm -hmm. historic by, by many standards. So the question now is, is, you know, will we receive this reversion to the mean? You know, will value have its day in the sun again? And it's been a number of years since we've seen value really outperform. And when you think value, you think of more of the, or excuse me, growth, you think of more of your NASDAQ type stocks, your Googles of the world, um, really where there's this expectation of, of, you know, exponential growth, whether it's revenue, cash flows, you'll generally see reinvestment of earnings, right, R&D spending, um, and really to um, go big or go home, right, to, to use a very simple term. Um, and that has really driven the outperformance of the market for the better half of the last decade. Um, that's where the more tech-focused names are. Um, and, the, and the value side of things, you're looking more for diamonds in the rough, right? Um, the PE value is a little bit lower. Um, the, the, the stock prices don't ne necessarily reflect their fundamental value, right? You're looking mm -hmm. for bargains, so to speak. An example of that would be a, a, a bank, right? A Morgan Stanley or a Ford, right? Some of your, your older kind of companies, uh, for lack of a better term, but um, they're not emphasizing growth, right? So um, there, there's likely going to be some dividends, as we mentioned before, tied more to the growth side, or excuse me, the value side. Mm -hmm. right? They're going to likely issue a dividend. That's a component of the, of the core competency of that firm and, and showing kind of that solid balance sheet, right? Whereas the growth company, right, it's going to be a little bit more volatile. Dividends aren't a focus. It's 
purely growth longer term, um, kind of that go, go, growth as we like to say. You know, it's interesting to hear you say that because at the beginning of this presentation, you talked about the difference between gambling, if you will, and investing. Well, there's a midline here where in some cases you are speculating uh, and looking for growth as opposed to what you've referred to as value. Uh, I think back to the tech bubble uh, in the late 90s. Companies had no track record. They had no track record of earnings. They had, in some cases, weak balance sheets, placing a bet. But a company with a strong balance sheet, a strong record of earnings and good management, that's a value investment. Would that be a fair way to put it? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, when you look at some of these companies that constitute what the value world is, um, they're, they're great companies, right? They're not going anywhere anytime. Yes. Mm-hmm. The fact that they potentially didn't have the best year in terms of uh, returns are concerned. Um, you know, take into account the dividends, take into account the cash flow that they, they, they kick off internally, um, and just whatever widget or service they, they sell. Um, I mean, listen, we know Ford's not going anywhere. We know Morgan Stanley's not right. Going anywhere, right? I mean, these are profitable firms um, that have a, a you know, everyday use case in our society nowadays. So um, it, it's good to have, you know, we, we try not to time the market and, and overweight um, things, uh, you know, We'll obviously take sector bets. Sometimes we like growth more than value, but you know it's important to understand that um, you know we, we sometimes will look at the two combined. Right, growth was up mm-hmm. you know, 40 percent, and the Nasdaq was up close to forty five percent last year. The Dow was up seven. Right, you combine the two, you get a pretty good return on the year. So I think you know for us, it's it's, it's let's not try to time exactly when it's all going to hit and work. And yes, yeah, sometimes we'll overweight one versus the other, but um, you know it's important to understand that. They, they both can work uh, th- throughout the years, and uh, they all have had, you know they've had plenty of good years on either side of the ledger. So, okay, let's move on then to another type of investing. And it seems every year some new fund is added. There are all kinds of funds. There are indexes. There are mutual funds. There are bond funds. Tell us about funds. What are they, and how do people invest in them? And, and this is this is a, a great subject and topic for where we are kind of in, in the uh, investment cycle. I mean, like I said, those robo-advisors, right, access to investment, um, it's really been kind of correlated with the proliferation of ETFs or exchange-traded funds, right? And what you're right. just buying here is, um, you know, essentially you're buying, you know, a marketable security through an ETF uh, that might track, right, a stock index or a commodity index or a bond index, right? Um, and and these ETFs will price daily just as a stock would. Um, they're valued mm-hmm. constantly throughout the day. Um, but you're, you're, you are purchasing shares of the fund rather than shares of the underlying kind of uh, investment, right? And I think um, you get fractional shares, and this is what you're buying with those robo-advisors, mm-hmm. right? Um, and listen, they have a place in, and, and the, the assets that sit with these ETFs are massive now because what you're generally getting, right, if you buy, let's say, the S&P 500 ETF, you're getting 100% of the upside for the most part and mm-hmm. you're 100% of the downside. You own everything within that index. And there's, right. there's good times to be in things like that. We get the last, let's say, 10 or so years because the markets have basically just gone up. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting into more of an actively managed time where you want to selectively pick the stocks you own. And that's where kind of mutual funds, mutual funds can mimic an index, for the, but for the most part, 
You're pulling together assets for an actively managed mutual fund where a portfolio manager and team sits behind it to buy a concentrated number of stocks, right? They're not, Mm -hmm. they're valued at the end of the trading day. Um, They're actively managed, there's a team behind it. We utilize both, not saying one's right or wrong, but um, it's important to understand that there is that differential, right? The, the, The actively managed mutual fund versus the passively just your exposure ETF, you know, for the most part, there are nuances to each, um, but those are generally uh, the, the structures of each of them. And, and, you know, sometimes people forget to look at risk in a fund. For example, going back to the tech bubble, a lot of funds were created that just had new tech stocks. Sure. That, is a, that, is, that is a lot more risky than a balanced fund or a fund that has, as you referred to them before, uh, valued assets or value investments. So people should be careful as well. Am I correct? Yeah. And then, and, you know, the vehicle necessarily don't, won't drive, you know, you, you got to look under the hood, right? You have to understand yeah. what, they're doing, what they're doing, how they're doing it. I mean, you know, the software nowadays, right, you can really get a better sense of exposures, risk, you know across, let's say we have five or six mutual funds and ETFs, right? What's my exposure? I mean, the software nowadays is so phenomenal. I can see so what, sophisticated, our yeah. China, what our exposure is to value, what our exposure is if rates were to go up a percent, right? What the historical impact would be. So um, having to do that on the backside of an envelope might be a little bit more difficult, I think. <laughs> no, I don't think you want to do it on the backside of an envelope. Now, we go now uh, up another level. Sure. Alternative investments. People hear about these things all the time, derivatives and so forth. Talk to us. Yes, yes. And this is an area that, you know, been around a long time. I mean, we all know the, the hedge fund heroes, right, of the, you know, the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, mm-hmm. you know, you're seeing, you know, there's your classic private equity and your hedge funds right? Where mm-hmm. hedge fund world really invests in anything and everything they want. Less regulation can really invest domestically, internationally in derivatives, to your point, leverage. Um, and they can be an ag- as aggressively managed or less aggressively managed as they'd like to be. Um, fees are a little bit different. You're usually somewhere in the neighborhood of a 2% management fee on the assets you have with them. And then usually if they hit a certain hurdle in terms of performance, they'll charge 20% on every dollar they make for you. Um, but again, their fee, their return expectations are usually a little bit higher, right? They're shooting mm-hmm. for something a little bit greater than traditional uh, market returns. Um, you know, the thing with that is, is you know, it's a little bit more risky, right? There's less regulation around it. I mean, there's plenty of really good hedge funds, and there's plenty of really bad hedge funds, right? I mean, you think of your Bernie Madoffs of the world, right? Um, and I think uh, you don't have to go through some of the SEC uh, regulations and restrictions. Mm-hmm. Ones and ETFs do. So um, that's where someone like ourselves um, and Hightower, right, not only just assessing what the hedge fund or alternative does, right, but going on site, understanding the risk. Do they have an operation, you know, operational due diligence, right? Do they have a risk team in place? What are their mm-hmm. capabilities? You know, how, you know, w- what are these various nuances to the hedge fund to make sure it doesn't blow up? Because we all have heard the story of very mm-hmm. that have blown up over the years. So um, something we take very seriously, um, and you know, obviously, we offer all of these different vehicles when they make sense for clients. Um, but you know, you have to take the diligence very seriously. Um, the private equity side is is the private side of that, right? The hedge funds are generally investing in more publicly traded companies, bonds, you know, currencies, etc. 
Whereas the private side, right, is you're basically raising capital um, uh, to, to, to invest in a private company or maybe it's a buyout or something along those lines, right? You'll have limited partners, general partners. Um, but the interesting part about the private markets, right, is they're not, like we mentioned with an ETF, right? It's like buying a stock or bond. You're going to know the price. Of yes, that that's correct. All day, right? Whereas just like your home, and we'll get into real estate in a minute, you're owning a private company. Maybe it's a small business in St. Louis that manufactures some widget, right? The, the value of that company, they're not going to, it's not mark to market, right? You're not going to know the value of that company every single day. Generally, you're getting a valuation on a quarterly mm-hmm. or annual basis. Um, and there's less volatility as a result, right? I mean, the housing market's different, but you know, if you have a small company, um, usually it's not as volatile and can be a little bit more smooth in terms of uh, reducing that volatility when added to a portfolio. Then there's real estate. Uh, there's private and public REITs. Public REITs are what's traded on exchanges. Um, and then there's the private side of real estate where you can invest in, you know, whether it's rental properties or office properties, um, you know, various different things, corporate real estate, right? Commercial real estate. Um, and that has obviously been a, a hot topic mm-hmm. of everyone not really leaving their houses and going to offices anymore. So um, really interesting time for commercial real estate. Um, and, and, but you know, all the very different nuances amongst them, what we've seen recently is generally speaking, there's income and net worth requirements to access these vehicles, Yes, right? Because the minimums are usually, you know, several hundred thousand to to millions of dollars to get access to these vehicles because that's just the way they're structured in terms of what their end investment is. Um, you know, accredited investor, qualified purchaser, different levels, right? At which Mm -hmm access to these funds. And they want it because they want to make sure you as an investor have enough money to where, like I said before, if the hedge fund were, who's taking these massive risks were to fail, you're, you're not out on the streets, right? And that, that, that is one part of regulation that does make sense. Um, but now you're seeing uh, access to liquid alternatives in, the, fu- in mm-hmm. the, the mutual fund formats, right? So you've seen in the minimums for these things, I mean, we have one real estate fund, the minimum is $2,500. So the structure itself has changed to cater to the retail investor, to that kind of high net worth. Um, and honestly, as we know, I mean, you know, they're doing it to obviously make a management fee and to broaden their horizon. Sure. Um, but it's something we've invested in more and more as a firm. Um, and we take a lot more, a lot of time too. So there's the big private side, mm-hmm. right? And then there's obviously the liquid alt side, which is going to be more and more. I just want to go back to something. You you clarified it a little later when you used the, the term um, real estate, uh, if you will, uh, funds almost. REITs are real estate investment trusts. If one thinks of the dynamic of a of a fund, you are not buying a house or one house. You, you're buying into a pool of investment products. Exactly. Correct. And real estate investment products. Um, which brings us to, uh, you also mentioned risk and risk tolerances and due diligence. Uh, one of the great virtues of American investment, investing in the United States or through companies such as yours, is the regulatory requirements. I don't know that we emphasize this enough. The regulatory requirements, the risk requirements in terms of capital and due diligence are, we can dare say they're the best in the world here in the United States. And it is a part, in a way, it's part of the product. Now, having said all of this and talked about the products, people make money and they lose money. There are 
um, consequences, but there are also tax consequences. Talk about that a little bit, loss of grain. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think start with the risk aspect, right? Um, you know, I think that that comes first and foremost, right? I mean, capital preservation, what we do here, you know, we're, we're not a hedge fund, right? We're not trying to hit home runs and grand slams all the time, right? We start with the end result in mind, capital preservation, sleep at night. Um, and that's where analyzing the risk becomes really important, right? Um, and rebalancing becomes a part of that, right? If we say to a client, you know, we think your level of risk is somewhere in that moderate bucket, right? And whether that's, you know, 40% stocks or 60% stocks, and we highlight a, a range that you're comfortable with. Um, if the market keeps going up, that 50% you have in stocks might become 55, might become 60% in stocks, right? Those are gaining value. The bonds, let's say on the other mm-hmm. side, are not. Now you're out of whack. Now all of a sudden your risk tolerance looks more like a moderate, aggressive, aggressive. Market. So we would want to rebalance and potentially sell some of those stocks and buy some more of the bonds just to get you back in line, realigned with what your risk bucket looks like, what your allocation should look like. Um, and with that said, now all of a sudden you have either some gains or some or some losses, right? When you might make okay. a, um, And I think the most important thing there is when we come into, let's say, you know, when we're making tactical decisions throughout the year to add some percentages here, yes, that that's fine. It's usually small potatoes, maybe on the margin. But if we're making a big decision to buy or sell completely out of a, a mutual fund, a stock, a bond, that can, that can have significant impacts on your taxable gain or loss. Going into a year-end type scenario, maybe we'll look through your portfolio and say, okay, we see this one bond or stock or mutual fund, it's down. Let's sell it, take the loss because those losses carry forward with you and you can mm-hmm. them. Um, and maybe buy it back in 30 days to, to, to avoid that kind of wash sale uh, rule and regulation. Um, and then there's the gain standard, right? If all of a sudden you have a massive gain, and it's a positive thing. Now it's unrealized until you sell it. When you sell it- right. Now, all of a sudden, you've incurred this gain. If you sold it within one year, you know, 365 days, it's a short-term gain. The tax consequence for that is you're going to be taxed at your ordinary income rate, which is generally going to be higher than the capital gain rate. Capital gain rate is going to be usually in that 15 to 20% range, um, excluding kind of state and local. Um, and that's if you hold the, the, the whatever holding for over a calendar year, Right. Um, so the, all of these different variables will play into our kind of tax loss harvesting that we do for clients, right? Does it make sense to buy or sell or hold this fund? Um, and again, you know, there's always the challenge and there's no right or wrong answer because each person's case is different. You have a massive gain in something you bought. Sometimes you have to pay taxes, right? That's a part mm-hmm. of it. And I think this yes. is a challenge for people. People don't like to pay taxes. I get it, right? But with success, you know, that there will, there could be some tax impact because again, you know, this thing could drop in the next day, right? You just don't know. So a lot of variables. And and the key thing I think for, for people, right, is that your kind of maximum capital loss that you can take to deduct really off of your income to offset that ordinary income last year was about $3,000. Now let's mm-hmm. say you have greater capital loss. You can carry that forward for future years to help offset some sort of gains. So it's been difficult the last decade because the markets have just done so well. You know, it's very difficult to find mm-hmm. those to help offset. Um, but you can get creative around around certain things. But that's also where tax advice uh, comes in very handy. No when problem. to take the loss, when to take that profit, and so forth. Um, Richard, you've uh, 
run the gamut. Uh, before we wrap up, though, could you, if you could give folks one piece of advice as they start out into the new year and, and they evaluate the different investment types that you've talked about, what would it be? What do you want to tell people? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily just the type of investment, the sector, this or that. Um, I think the biggest thing when it comes to investing is is it's it's emotional, right? It, you know, whether it's uh, you know thinking of the last year and the election, right? I think sometimes people might express their investments based on what the what the election and what parties uh, in power, et cetera. Um, Numbers bear out that over lo- over the longer term, which is what we try to do, invest for the longer term. That it might not make sense to necessarily put all your eggs in, in one basket like that. Um, I think the most important thing, though, is you know, make sure you do your homework. You know, talk to people, talk to friends, family, advisors, whatever, and understand where your risks are. Understand why you're doing what you're doing. Um, I think you see more often than not. Um, People love to talk about what's worked, the hot stock that they bought. We all know that mm-hmm. guy, like the, the coffee, uh, you know, the kitchen guy who's making us you know, coffee, telling you all about the stock he bought. They generally don't tell you about the losers. They generally don't tell you no. about when uh, things are down. So, um, and, and have a process. Um, it's not as much scientific as it is about um, your habits, right? Your emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm being consistent with your approach, right? Um, the biggest part of our industry is compounded interest, right? Keep investing, keep true to your discipline, add to your account, don't overreact when it comes to market dislocations and noise, right? Separate the noise from what's actually fundamentally going on in the economy, what companies are earning. Um, so I think you hear much, there's so much noise now, especially with phones and the constant 24-7 news cycle. Oh, Yeah. And it can scare people. Stick to your guns. Have a have a process. Um, maintain a risk discipline, and don't deviate. Right. I mean, obviously, there's times to be more tactical and, and, and not. But I think um, having a consistent process, something that we've done here for a long time, um, and you know, I, I credit the team a lot here. And I, I I hate to speak too much about ourselves, but you know, one thing we do well is we don't overreact. Right. We keep that longer term focus. And, you know, I think when people get caught up in the short term and you're starting to market time, it's where you get caught wrong footed. Right. And uh, the key is. To- Absolutely. You know, I would I would just pass along this advice as well to listeners and viewers. When you hear big news about the market or you hear big or bad news about an investment, call your advisor. Do not act. If you have an advisor, don't act without calling them. That's the best advice I think anyone could have in tough or even potentially exciting times. Would that be a fair statement? I think you hit the nail on the head there, Bob. It's uh, sometimes the grass is greener and sometimes it's not. (laughs) Folks, you've been with us today. Uh, This is Westchester Talk Radio. We've been talking with Richard Fulhoff. He is a private wealth or private wealth advisor and the director of research and planning at Hightower. I want to thank you very much for your time today. You have helped people a lot. I appreciate it, Bob. Always a pleasure and uh, good to hear you're doing well. 
Hightower Westchester is a group of investment professionals registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as a general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Westchester and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of Hightower Westchester and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.